0: Hello, I'm Gnome, and welcome to the Gnome Chapters. Since this is the first episode, I'm going to be messing around with formats until I find something that really works. But what I'm hoping for is kind of an interactive experience where I get input from my listeners, you guys, on the things I read you. Such as adding a character, what if it had more of this or that. and then I just incorporate that feedback into a new part of the story or the next chapter that will be released in the next podcast episode. Alternatively, if I don't get any feedback for a chapter or if you guys feel like you've had enough of a particular story or if it's just not really well liked, I will begin with a new chapter one. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure podcast, you know? So if you would like to leave me some input, you can email me at hello.im.gnome at gmail.com. When I get feedback from listeners, I will read the email out loud on the show with your preferred name, and then the chapter I wrote from that feedback. If you'd like to remain anonymous, don't worry, just tell me in the email and I won't say your name. Now that that's over with, on to our very first chapter one. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. It was the middle of the afternoon, and Bertie woke up groggy. He had no idea why until he tried to rub the sleep out of his eyes. Instead of being able to move himself freely, Bertie found himself fettered to a hard, cold, slightly damp stone slab. His neck was bound with a leather collar that was too tight to allow easy breath, and his wrists and ankles were in much the same condition. He tried to turn his head and found that his neck hurt abominably, but eventually he was able to turn it, and what he saw when he did terrified him. There was a strange old woman, crooked and bent, with warts and frazzled grey hair. She was just your stereotypical medieval witch. And it wasn't her that scared him, but the tall man with the, uh, very large knife held above his head? That would frighten anybody. Spouting old words and dead languages he was, and using the knife to draw sigils in the air above his head. Bertie couldn't tell what he looked like, as a hood covered most of his face. However, the voice was strong and forceful. In any dire situation, one can usually turn to instinct to tell them how to escape. Instinct can tell a body a great many things, and as genetically coded knowledge goes, most of what your instincts have to tell you is pretty good advice. As such, Bertie turned to his own instincts to tell him what to do. He took a large, deep breath, as much as he could with the constricting collar around his neck, and turned wide eyes up at the man. Is there any chance we could hit a pub and chat this out? The tall man just ignored him, drawing more sigils in the air. The crone behind him continued to putter around, picking up vases and tidying dead bouquets of flowers. That's a... is that a no then? Bertie asked. Again, he was ignored. Bertie was in a troublesome situation indeed. Some time ago. It was a cold but still winter's night. The snow had piled high and the days were surprisingly mild this season. But on clear nights such as this one, temperatures dropped tremendously. Townspeople that existed here were either abed at this hour or holed up at the local tavern, a well-established pub called the King's Pint. Those that weren't were scurrying from tavern to home hurriedly, bundled so thickly they seemed more like roving clothing piles than people. Inside the pub, clay cups clacked together, a searing fire roared in the hearth, and plates were served piled high with meat, cheese, and bread to hungry patrons. There was laughter and chatter and a fight breaking out. A slender young man with a little bit too long dark hair and bright blue eyes had ducked just in time to avoid a heavy fist. It wicked off the beam and the man who slung the punch whimpered as Bertie dropped to the floor and crawled on all fours to safety. As he got to the door and stood, he looked quickly behind him and yelped to find the big man wading through the tables behind him. She didn't tell me she was your wife, he shouted at the man while scrabbling to open the door behind him. (laughs) Then again, he said as the door was open and the cold winter's night was at his back, if I was your wife I wouldn't tell anybody about it either. He slipped backwards out into the night, tumbling onto his arse into the snow. The big man from the pub filled the doorway. The big man from the pub filled the doorway, warmth and orangey glow backlighting him, and Bertie looked up at him from the ground, trying not to shiver. Bertie was expecting to be turned into a bloody stain in the snowy road, but the man just turned back around and shut the door behind him. Bertie sighed, at once both relieved and, to be honest, a little offended. The big man acted like Bertie wasn't worth the time to beat up for having slept with his wife. He shook off the thought. I'm still too sober, he muttered holding his head. He looked up in the direction of the castle. I'm still too sober, he muttered holding his head. He looked up and in the direction of the castle then. There was a feast going on this night, he knew, in honor of the young lady that had met her betrothed recently. I guess royal alcohol is better than no alcohol at all, he shrugged and moseyed on towards the royal festivities to get royally sloshed. In order to sneak into any well-guarded facility, such as a castle, one must be incredibly prepared. Rope for climbing and disguise, knowledge of all available exits should one get caught, and a few backup plans may be one general way to go about it. Our young drunkard, however, stumbling in from the great inky beyond, had none of that. He didn't even have a sense of self-preservation about him as he strolled up to that heavy front door, waved at the guards, and went right on inside. He joined the party seamlessly, and although he was in common clothes, most partygoers believed him to be just one of the other two dozen or so servants that were also milling around the great dining hall. The music was loud and the laughter was fierce as a group of traveling thespians tumbled this way and that, throwing flaming balls into the air and twirling rings on their arms. Erty swiped a tankard of something from the hand of a lord that was far drunker than he was, saying, let me refill this for you, sire, before going off and downing it, cider, he thought, yummy, and discarding the tankard on one of the actual servants. The evening and the party wore on. Bertie danced and sang, even performed a bit with the thespians before he found himself outside once again, this time in an inner courtyard. He was wonderfully inebriated, and all thoughts of the big man that was married to an adorable, sweet-smelling, heavy-set goddess of love were gone from his head. Bertie had gone outside to pee, as alcohol will go through one's system quickly, and searched briefly for a private-ish snowbank. When he found one, he whipped out his willy, unaware that he was slightly less alone than he thought he was. A strong but older hand, adorned with gold rings, clamped down on his shoulder, and Bertie almost stumbled. It was enough of a movement to throw off the pattern of his name, written in delicate yellow cursive in the bank. "'What are you doing?' slurred the man, attached to the richly decorated hand. Bertie was not quite done yet, and kept urinating. I was marking this snowbank, but you threw off my aim, he replied surly. The man behind him hummed a bit in reply. An awkward silence ensued. How does one mark a snowbank? The man asked. Bertie was a bit too drunken to be taken aback. Instead, he began to demonstrate. Well, simply put, it's all in the hips. You just kind of swivel them. He wrote his name again, surprised he still had that much left in him, and, ah, there we go, done. He stepped back so that the man could see the name Bertie written in the snow, lit up by torchlight from yonder wall sconce. He stuffed away his dingle and finally took a look at the man who had asked for the demonstration. My lord, was all he could get out before the king himself shushed him. Shh, 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 shh. I'm hiding from my wife, said King Harbeth putting a hand dramatically over Bertie's mouth and putting a finger to his own lips as he spoke. Now, show me again how you did that, he demanded quietly. Well, I can't, sire, said Bertie. Why not, said the king petulantly. I'm all out of piss, sire, Bertie replied. The two drunk men stared at each other silently for a moment. Shame, said the king. Maybe you should practice while you're out here, and then we can both go back inside and get a wee more schnockered, Bertie offered helpfully with a lopsided smile and shrug. King Harbit's face lit up like the dawn then, producing the gleeful grin of a child who's been told they could indeed keep the thing they brought home as a pet. A grand idea, boy. I shall begin forthwith, Harbit cried, and then, laughing, shushed both himself and Bertie. Both continued to chuckle and giggle as the king began to pee his name into the snow. Around mid-afternoon, Bertie found himself awoken rudely by the sun, completely disheveled and with a hangover that would fill a god. Groaning in agony at the bright assault, he rolled to his side and reached out for his bedside table, but didn't find it. He reached further. Nothing. A little further, and he found some straw. How queer, Bertie thought groggily. The thought passed quickly as, again, he fell asleep. Unbeknownst to Bertie, he was in a cell with hard stone floors, a low stone ceiling, a window with bars in it, and a pile of straw. When he had been found by the queen earlier that morning, curled up in front of the king's hearth, clutching a jug of wine to his chest, the guards had clunked in and hauled him away into the bowels of the castle. He would remain in his cell in the dungeon until a day and a half later, thereabouts, when the king would ask where his new court jester was. The feast had been a raucous one, and had endured long into the morning. By the time King Harbeth had fallen deep into his drunken slumber, together with his new friend, the curious boy who seemed to care little for social conventions, the sun had already risen. He barely awoke for the scream of his queen, and only muttered soft assurances to her as she then tumbled into bed, crying about something he could barely fathom. They had both been quite drunk, so it was hard to tell what she was saying exactly between the slurred blubbers and the pounding in his head, but he tried his best to soothe her. When he finally came around again, the queen was sound asleep and a fire was once again roaring in the hearth. There was a meal already laid out for him, however, his stomach tumbled at the sight of it. He only partook of a few goblets of water and a few bites of salted ham before falling asleep with his elbow on the table, his hand propping up his cheek. He did not wake when his royal head thunked against the hard oak table. At about dawn, two days after his niece Melinda's engagement party, King Harbeth awoke fresh-faced and alert and ready for the world once again. His servant, who was putzing around his chambers doing whatever it was he did, started at the king's sudden wakefulness and asked if he required breakfast. Oh yes, lad, thank you, that would be most welcome, the king said in a cheerful, booming voice. He pretended not to notice the boy jump. Immediately, the servant put himself to action, issuing a quiet, yes my before vacating the room. The king sighed. The servants in this place were all skittish. He found it annoying at best, Was he just getting on in his years, where things in these new modern times were just done differently? He didn't care to think about that. Instead, the memory of learning to urinate in the snow in the shape of his name floated through his head. And that made him smile. Barely, he recalled the young sot that had taught him. He'd been such a chipper, straightforward person. What was his name again? The king couldn't remember. What he did remember was that he had a full king's load of business to attend to after spending the better part of two days in bed, and that he was absolutely not enthused about it. He sighed, waiting in bed for his meal to be brought, and wishing that the young piss scribbler were there to entertain him. Bertie was bored. During his brief time in the cell, he had found nothing to do and no one to woo. There was no alcohol, and worst of all, he was so bored. He tried to tidy the bed and make it as best as he could. He tried to tidy the bed and make it as best as he could, and picked up any stray straw that had fallen from the lumpy, tattered bunk. He'd asked for a rag to clean with, even, but the guards had refused him, surmising that he would just try to escape with it. And... Just how, in all of the hells ever thought of, would one escape a stone and iron cell with a wee bit of rag? Bertie burst out in frustration. If he couldn't clean, he could at least pick a fight. I just want to clean! Is that unheard of in these parts of the castle? He drew in a deep breath and then coughed, waving his hand in front of his face. Don't answer that, he said. The guard hummed a bit but said nothing more, instead turning to the guard on the other side of the room and striking a conversation with him. Bertie sighed and resignedly sat down on the freshly made bed. Leaning back against the wall, looking up at the ceiling, he began to count the bricks up there. He was very, very bored. It didn't last much longer, though, to his brief relief. After a few minutes counting bricks, 487 in the whole wall so far, a small and lovely servant girl hesitantly approached the guards. The three of them commiserated for a second or two, and one of the guards shot Bertie a dark look. Oh ye gods, I'm to be executed for a night I don't even remember, he thought. The guards shuffled close to the door, and one of them unlocked it. Bertie backed away. Oh, come now, lads, he said. At least let me know my offense. He was not bored any longer, he found. You are an offense, you glib dolt, said the guard that was standing back. The one that had opened his cell door, the one that Bertie had insulted, grabbed a hold of Bertie's forearm. He decided to try again. But see, I've grown rather fond of this cell. And I think I'd rather stay here. It's nice, roomy, away from the hustle and bustle of, you know, human life. And away from the hangman, as it were. The two guards looked at each other and grinned. Or headsman? Bertie said quietly, and then he was dragged away. Bertie had expected death to hurt, or at least be uncomfortable. He expected the gods to show themselves and point at him in judgment just as he had been taught they would. He expected a slow march up countless stairs, a cold crowd jeering and staring at him, and the executioner asking him his boot size. He expected a great many things from death. He did not expect as the guards guided him deeper into the stronghold to confront death, wave at it, and then simply pass it by. As the three of them passed a lanky man with an axe and a hood, Bertie waved at him awkwardly before he was dropped onto the stone floor in front of a throne. Is this him? A voice above him asked. It sounded surprisingly familiar, but he couldn't place where he'd heard it before. Yes, sire, came the humble reply. Bertie was taking his time rising from the floor. He wasn't sure what was going on, and he had a rather queer feeling about it. Not bad, not good, just queer. What he was certain of was that he was not going to be executed yet, and now was his chance to get out of that fate. Cautiously, Bertie rose to his hands and knees as the voice above him spoke. Do you know why I've brought you here today? The voice boomed. It was uncomfortably loud to Bertie, who had spent the better part of two days in mostly silence and hungover sleep. He winced at the sound. Um, I was actually under the impression that I was to die. So if you've changed your mind about that, I'd be much obliged. Do you know why I've had you brought here today? The voice boomed. It was uncomfortably loud to Bertie, who had spent the better part of two days in mostly silence in that stone cell, and he winced at the sound. Mm. I was actually under the impression that I was to die, so if you've changed your mind about that, I'd be much obliged, replied Bertie as he slowly raised his head to display a dazzling and innocent, he hoped, grin. He spied a rather expensive pair of boots as his gaze raised. He gulped and pushed his eyes upwards just a little more. Plain pants, a frilly shirt, two old but ornately decorated hands, and perched a little ways above a large, gray, bushy caterpillar was a crown. Fuck said Bertie, his face dropping suddenly. I beg your pardon, said the king. I said fuck your majesty, Bertie replied and raised a single eyebrow. One of the guards nudged him roughly with his foot, growling the word behave at him, and the king began to laugh. Oh, marvelous, it is you, isn't it? You're the one who taught me to, what was it, mark a snowbank, I believe you called it. Bertie scrunched his eyebrows, trying hard to remember what the king was talking about, and failing. I don't recall, sire. I remember sne- I mean, coming to the party? However, after my lord's particular brand of spirits began to flow freely, I find my mind is rather blank. King Harbeth looked a little disappointed. Is that so? he asked, and began to frown. And- "'How exactly did you come by an invitation to my brother's party? "'Are you, perhaps, a visiting dignitary? "'Or some cousin I didn't know about?' "'Bertie raised that eyebrow again, "'and, knowing that he should tread carefully "'lest he find himself at the loopy end of a noose, "'simply couldn't help himself. "'Well, I have been told I'm a royal pain in the ass.' "'But you're not a noble,' the king inquired. Bertie sighed in contrition. Bertie sighed in contrition. No, sire. Alas, I was not born so unfortunately. Ignoring this, the king trudged forward. Then how did you get in, boy? He asked. Bertie shrugged and replied, I waved at the guards, it wasn't too difficult. The guards behind him cleared their throats uncomfortably. And they just let you in? King Harbeth growled. I actually let myself in, Bertie said, now enjoying the mess that he was creating. He may have his head lopped, but he could at least have company while he was at the block. What? the lord asked, shocked. The king snorted at him, and Bertie, who had just realized that man was even there, looked at him now. What? he parroted. There was silence then. Bertie found it uncomfortable. He tried to rise to his feet again, saying, well, this has been fun, but was pushed back down to his knees by one of the guards behind him. The king stared at Bertie. The residential lord stared at Bertie. The guards stared at Bertie. Bertie inwardly sighed. My lord? He asked after a moment. Yes, boy, the king replied. He had his chin resting on his fist, his elbow resting on the armrest, and did not look up when he replied. <clears throat> out, of, out of want for a resolution to my current situation, uh, your crowny lordship, um, why am I here? Did you want more urinary tutoring, perhaps? Bertie asked. He shuffled on his knees. The flagstone under them was growing increasingly painful. Something in the old man's eyes sparked, though, as he remembered what he had been trying to accomplish that day. Oh, he said, his entire face lightening. Yes, quite. Why, indeed. You are here because I require a new court jester. Oh. Bertie was taken aback. If he had had his feet beneath him, he would have taken a step back in shock. Instead, after a moment's silence, he simply asked, Did I get the part? I believe so, yes, the king replied unbothered. Do I have to wear the bells? Bertie grimaced at the sudden, obtrusive thought. Well... No, I suppose not, the king replied. But you do have to wear the hat. Can I refuse? Bertie asked. He would really rather not spend his time offending rich people when poor people were much safer to offend. Poor people couldn't have you off for a bad joke. Refuse to wear the hat? The king asked. Well, that too. Bertie watched the king watching him darkly before deciding to go the extra mile to save himself. How much will I be paid? He sighed finally. The next hour found Bertie very, very bored once again. In the end, with the conditions and compensations of his new employment with the king's set, Bertie was rather whelmed to find himself the newly appointed royal jester to King Harbeth, and he didn't even have to wear the bells. Well, hey there! You've reached the end of this episode. Don't forget to tune in in two weeks to find out what happens next. And if you have something you'd like me to add to the next chapter, you can email me at hello.im.gnome at gmail.com. All lowercase, no apostrophe. Music and sound effects from this episode include My Tavern One by RailXPDX, Bedroom Wooden Door Closed by Matt Ruth Sound, and medieval music by Kevzog. Also included is music by Tritachion, all of which can be found in the show notes with links. Thank you for listening and have a great night. And he didn't even have to wear the bells. Yay!